Good evening, everybody. How are y'all doing? I know it's been a little while since we've been able to uh, record Bible study. Um, my wife's uh, father unexpectedly passed away three weeks ago on a Wednesday afternoon. We weren't able to record that day. And my uh, wonderfully talented videographer, Justin, uh, works for the railroad, and he was going to have to go, uh, I thought he may have to go south for the hurricane, so... Uh, we missed that one, and then we didn't have any power last week, so we've missed three weeks of being able to record, and I'm glad we are back together uh, tonight as we continue through uh, our look into Paul's letter to Timothy, the first one. Uh, but before we do that, I'd like to uh, open us with a word of prayer. I know uh, some of you may have uh, needs, concerns, what have you, uh, within your own lives, within your own heart. And I'd ask you, as we pray, to lift those up to the Lord. Uh, I know a couple uh, in particular, and you'll have to forgive me because I can't, I can't remember the name, but there was a, um, a young child that uh, lost their life uh, yesterday in, a, in an automobile due to the heat. And uh, the Lord knows. Uh, in fact, our, our very own Dan Ferguson uh, remember here at our church, it was his great niece. Uh, and also remember Dan's family. Uh, he lost his brother a couple of weeks ago. So be sure and lift up, uh, the Ferg the Ferguson family and, and, um, they have a big family, but, but remember them all. Uh, and there are so many others, uh, that seem to escape my memory, uh, at this very moment, but the Lord knows. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just come humbly before you here uh, this evening. Father, just thanking you for your many blessings, Lord. Uh, God, we've um, we've endured a hurricane here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, folks have been displaced. Lord, folks have had their homes destroyed. Uh, but God, we're going to praise you in the midst of it. Lord, uh, God, we thank you for uh, the, the brave linemen that have been working so hard over these last couple of weeks, Father, to restore power to so many. Uh, God, we just thank you for them. God, I ask that you place a hedge of protection about them as they go around our state, Father, and try to restore folks, uh, restore their power. God, I thank you for uh, this community that I live in, Father, the people, Lord, the, the, the servant hearts that they have, Father. Uh, Lord, there are some uh, within our community, Father, that are uh, less fortunate, Lord, uh, God, and I'm thankful for the provision, Lord, for what you've provided through uh, Brother Dusty Durbin and, and um, First Baptist Church of Wiggins, Mississippi, and Big Level Baptist Church for bringing food over here, Father, that we can hand out in our community, Lord, and, and just try to be a blessing to others. Father, for Brother Dan and the Ferguson family, Lord, they've, they, they've been enduring such grief and such heartache, Father, for the last couple of weeks, Lord, and I just pray that you would be in their midst, Lord, as, as terrible and as tragic as this is, Father, I know, Lord, I know that I know because your word tells me, Father, that you can work good from this, Lord, and we're trusting you. God, I ask that you be with us here tonight, Lord, as we open your word. Lord, as we study your word, Father, we pray that everything that we do here, Lord, just honors and glorifies you, for it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 
before we get into our um, scripture tonight, I, I would like to add, while it's fresh on my mind, uh, here at Atlanta uh, this week, we have uh, uh, an open store, if you will, even though we're not charging anything for it. Uh, Brother Dusty Durbin, uh, former pastor here at, in Atlanta, who is uh, the Lord has led him to Big Level Baptist Church in Mississippi, uh, called me. And uh, they had a whole bunch of uh, uh, food items, non-perishable, water, uh, different toiletries and things that they had gathered up and were going to bring over uh, here to Louisiana uh, for a little uh, disaster relief effort. Not a little one, it was a big one. And uh, he brought some by here uh, before they delivered it to uh, Winfield to where the Louisiana Baptist Convention Disaster Relief Headquarters is, and we're so thankful for that. I know our community is going to be so thankful for it. And uh, the store, uh, I keep calling it a store, but I don't know what else to call it, uh, is going to be open this week uh, from 5 to 7 in the evening, and we're going to keep it open until um, our supplies are exhausted. Uh, so if you are hearing this and you know of someone in the community here that needs some stuff, please, please, please bring them by here or tell them to come by here. So back to First Timothy. Uh, if you'll recall, uh, the last time we were able uh, to be together, uh, Paul had wrapped up his instruction uh, with Timothy concerning the treatment of widows. And we're going to be in the fifth chapter. And... Um, just in case you have forgotten, uh, Paul wrapped up this instruction concerning the widows and uh, how to discern true widows and uh, how they uh, fall into the context of roles within the church ministry. And today we're going to begin in verse 17 of chapter 5. And Paul is going to shift his focus from uh, talking about the widows uh, from honoring the widows according to scripture to properly honoring uh, elders, specifically pastors. That's who he's talking about. And before you get carried away, he, uh, what he's talking about honors is how you should treat them, uh, both in regards to um, uh, how they uh, fulfill their calling within the church uh, and those that don't fulfill their calling within the church. And you might ask your question if he's if he's talking about uh, honoring these pastors. Um, you may be sitting there thinking, "Well, I thought Timothy was a pastor. Why would Paul be telling him how to honor himself?" Uh, well, we got to remember that God's uh, intention for inspiring Paul to write this letter uh, wasn't just for the benefit of Timothy, uh, but it was for the benefit of generations. Uh, of the church to come, and that includes us. This is our this is our guide. This is our uh, instruction manual, if you will. And we need to know how to honor the elder. We need to know how to honor the pastor. We need to know how to treat him. Uh, so when we think about First uh, Timothy, and even though it is considered a pastoral epistle, it is indeed a message for the church today as well. So let's get right into this and we're going to read as we normally do. I'm going to read verses 17 all the way uh, down through verse 25, the end of chapter 5. 
and uh, we'll just see what uh, Paul is saying here. So beginning in verse 17, it says this, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not receive an accusation against an elder except from two or three witnesses. Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all, that the rest also may fear. I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Do not lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins, Keep yourself pure. No longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. So, we're going back, back up to verse 17, and that's what we're going to talk about here first is verse 17. And, and right off the bat, Paul identifies uh, who these instructions are concerning. The elder, the bishop, the overseer, the pastor. When we read uh, those terms in, in, in this book, First uh, uh, Timothy, the one he mentions, the elder, the bishop, the overseer, uh, he's always talking about the pastor. Now, you may not like that word here at the beginning of verse 17 where it says, let the elders who rule well. You may be sitting there saying, well, I don't like that word rule. Uh, but this is identifying who Paul is talking about. In uh, the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 17, it says this, Obey those who rule over you. They watch out for your souls. They must give an account. Let them do it with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. He's not talking about a ruler as in a president or a governor or an emperor or, or what have you. He's talking about the pastor. He's talking about the spiritual leader. He's not talking about uh, uh, the ruler as our minds conceive it, uh, one with an iron fist that is ruling and telling people what to do. He's talking about a spiritual ruler, the spiritual leader, the one who divides the word and the one who prays with you. Now, as we go through verse 17, we're going to see uh, where he uses a phrase, um, uh, counted worthy of double honor. Now, well, let's read the whole part of that. That way you can really understand it. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor. So he's talking about the pastors who rule well, who lead well. Uh, and, and these are pastors who serve with a greater commitment, with greater excellence and greater effort. And they should have greater acknowledgement from uh, their congregation. Now, this expression, as we read it, does not mean that the pastor should be paid twice as much money as everyone else just because he has uh, the term or the title pastor in front of his name. But he should be uh, acknowledged greater because he has earned 
such respect because he has ruled well, because he has exhibited greater commitment, uh, excellence, and effort, and uh, he should be paid more generously than one that does not. So now that we understand that, let's, let's finish his thought here in verse 17. Uh, he's still describing uh, one who rules well, he, uh, one who leads well. He says, especially those who labor in the word and in doctrine. Now, these are particularly those pastors uh, who will work harder than the others. Now, the word labor here in, in verse 17, in, in the Greek, uh, it emphasizes the effort behind the work rather than the amount of work. So understanding that, what we have here, uh, we're looking at a man who puts in exhaustive effort into his studying, uh, into his um, uh, teaching, and into his preaching of the word and of doctrine. And when we talk about uh, word and doctrine here, we're talking about a man who is proclaiming the, the gospel, a man who is exhorting and encouraging the church and teaching them truth according to scripture. So uh, now this is not a man's opinion. This is, he, he is preaching and teaching the truth according to scripture. Uh, that way that his congregation, his flock, his people may be uh, fortified against things like heresy and uh, the perverted doctrines of Satan in the world. Now, We've talked about this before, that the church here in Ephesus where Timothy was a pastor, that is something that was running rampant within the church, uh, the, the false teaching, the false doctrine. We've talked about that before as we've gone through this. And from looking around us in our world today, we see uh, a similar thing going on within our churches today. So uh, the word of God transcends time. Uh, the same thing that applied in the first century church here in Ephesus applies today. Uh, so we're talking about a man that really, really, really works exhaustively to prepare as he teaches and as he uh, preaches according to the word. Verse 18. Now I find verse 18 very interesting, okay? Uh, but verse 18, it says, For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. Now, uh, uh, the part where he opens there where he says, for scripture says, and this is a typical formula for introducing uh, biblical references. And, and this is very important when proclaiming the truth of scripture, either from the Old Testament or from the New Testament, to actually uh, provide the biblical context uh, to back up your proclamation. If you don't have scripture to back it up, it's just an opinion you're spouting out. So it's very important. Paul obviously realizes that, and he's he's teaching myself. He taught Timothy right here. Uh, you, you need to back up whatever proclamation you have with Scripture directly from the Word of God. But I want you to notice something very interesting here. Paul quotes from the first, uh, in the first part of this verse, he quotes from the Old Testament, uh, from Deuteronomy uh, chapter 25 and verse 4, where he says, You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. But notice what he, he does right here in the last part of this verse. He quotes from the Gospel of Luke, from the New Testament. 
And I thought that was amazing. Uh, the words of our Lord Jesus Christ right here is recorded in Luke's gospel, uh, chapter 10 and verse 7. We have Paul here actually, as we've uh, studied scripture, um, oftentimes you see uh, quoting from the Old Testament because we're reading the New Testament being lived out. Uh, but here Paul is actually quoting from the New Testament, quoting the words of the Lord Jesus from Luke. And remember, Luke is a contemporary of Paul. He, he traveled with Paul and he authored the books of Acts and uh, the Gospel of Luke. And uh, some believe he, he could have been the author of the book of Hebrews. No one really knows, but some have suggested that. I'm not suggesting it. I'm just offering that information. But the significance is, uh, of this is that Paul recognized uh, Luke's writing as Scripture, as the inspired Word of God, holy, authoritative, and profitable to us. And, and I find that very interesting, and I find that um, just so it just really sticks out to me. Uh, and it shows the high view of the early church, uh, the high view they took, of New Testament scripture. So I found that really, really cool. All right, verse 19. It says, Do not receive an accusation except against an elder, except from two or three witnesses. Now we see that uh, phrase there, two or three witnesses, two or three people, two or three people that uh, have witnessed this. Um, and he's reminding us here um, that serious accusations uh, against a pastor uh, must be investigated and it must be confirmed by the same process established by the Lord Jesus in uh, Matthew chapter 18. And let me turn back. I wanted to read that to you. That way you would know uh, what the Lord Jesus said uh, in Matthew chapter 18 in verse um, uh, 15. And we're going to read 15 through 20. This is what Jesus said. He says, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if he will not hear you, take with you one or two more that, and he quotes here from Deuteronomy, uh, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. I always found that uh, humorous. My sense of humor is strange that uh, the Lord put tax collector in there. And, and he just, uh, the way we'll understand uh, the tax collector uh, during the time the Lord Jesus' earthly ministry, they were hated. <laughs> they were not liked. Uh, but verse 18, it says, Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything they, that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. <clears throat> this process that Jesus just described in in uh, Matthew chapter 18, uh, this process was for the whole church, for uh, brothers and sisters within the church, but it also applies to pastors. Uh, 
what Paul is doing here in First Timothy is he's reminding us that uh, pastors are, 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 it doesn't place pastors beyond uh, successful uh, accusation, but it protects them from frivolous, uh, evil accusers by demanding uh, the same process of confrontation of sin as everyone else. So what Paul is saying here um, is, look, he may be the pastor of the church, but he's still got to abide by the same um, uh, the same truth that the Lord Jesus set forth for all of us. Let's go on, verse 20. <clears throat> it says, Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. Now, he's talking about pastors that will continue to sin after they are confronted by the two or three witnesses described in uh, verse 19. And he's especially talking about those pastors that violate any of the qualifications uh, to serve that were set forth back in chapter 3. And I'll just remind you real quick of those in chapter 3 in verses 2 through 7. Remember, um, he must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. So he's, he's well, we're going to go on here in verse 5. It says, uh, for if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? He's not a novice. Lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. Especially those, uh, the pastor, if he continues to do, uh, continues to sin, even after the confrontation, especially those um, qualifications that I, I just read out, if he failed to do that, and uh, should he be brought before all, as established uh, by Jesus in chapter 18 of Matthew that we just read, he says, tell it to the church. Mm. The reason why he tells them that is so they can all confront him and call him to repentance. So the pastor here it, it has the same, uh, same process as just as anyone else in the church. All right, verse 21, here's Paul. He says, I charge you before God and the Lord Jesus Christ and the elect angels that you observe these things without prejudice, doing nothing with partiality. Timothy is being charged here by Paul. Uh, and along the same lines, he is charging the church as well. Uh, that all discipline of elders, all discipline of pastors should be done fairly without prejudgment or personal preference, uh, and it should be done according to the standards of Scripture. Scripture is always our guide, always. Opinion doesn't matter. Verse 22, Paul is going to, he, he is cautioning right here. Let me read verse 22, and I want you to understand what he's saying right here. He says, do not lay hands on anyone hastily. He's not talking about laying hands on them like jump on them. That's not what he's talking about. 
Don't lay hands on anyone hastily, nor share in other people's sins. Keep yourself pure. Paul is reminding Timothy here, and he's reminding us as well, not to be hasty in ordaining men into the ministry. Uh, even though the church in the first century here in Ephesus, just like it does today, uh, desperately needs qualified spiritual leaders, uh, the selection had to be carefully executed. He said, don't be hasty in doing this. Don't be hasty in, in laying hands on somebody. Uh, we talked about that process, that, that acknowledgement of the laying of the home of the hands and the praying for them. That's what he's talking about right here. He reminds us here that there must be a thorough uh, investigation and a preparation period uh, to be certain of a man's qualifications. Um, and this verse refers to the sin of a, a hasty ordina ordination, uh, hurrying up. And say, oh, I like him. We're going. He he needs to be. He needs to be a pastor. He needs to be uh, an elder, a leader, without really going through the process set forth in Scripture in determining. Uh, he could be a wolf uh, in sheep's clothing, in sheep's clothing rather. Uh, and this makes the task of ordaining an elder uh, to be taken with utmost seriousness. Uh, and the reason being is that ordaining the wrong man will lead to a misled congregation, uh, just like the false teachers that he's been warning about throughout First Timothy. Uh, it, a, a false teacher, uh, misordained man, if you will, will lead the congregation astray. Verse 23. He said, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. All right. We need to be careful when we read this, uh, not to take it out of context and think Paul is, uh, is telling the pastor Look, it's okay, uh, and in this case, Timothy here, uh, start drinking. Uh, <laughs> what he is doing, well, let, let, let's discuss this. In the water in the first century uh, is often polluted, and it carries disease. We see this today in a lot of, sadly, in a lot of third world countries. Uh, they didn't have water treatment plants back then just as in some places around the world today. They don't have water treatment plants. Uh, they didn't have cases of, of purified bottled water uh, like we do today. They seem like they're everywhere. Uh, so oftentimes water carried disease. Uh, and Timothy had health problems, um, different issues, particularly digestive uh, issues, uh, intestinal illnesses, uh, and that was as a result of drinking impure water. Uh, during this time, my wife and I were actually talking about this the other day. Uh, because of the, uh, if you had a, a nice spring well that you could get good clean water out of, that's one thing. But uh, sometimes they didn't have that. Uh, and that is the reason why they would drink wine oftentimes at, uh, at a big dinner, at a big meal and things of that nature, uh, any type of uh, milk or anything like that. They didn't have a refrigerator to put it in. It's not like us where we just stick the milk in the refrigerator and keep drinking it. It had to be consumed immediately. So uh, 
even though they drank water, not all water was clean and not all water was pure, but wine was because it was fermented. It had alcohol in it. So Paul is encouraging him here. Timothy being a pastor had avoided wine. He wouldn't drink it. Uh, so as not to place himself in harm's way, uh, not to be a stumbling block to someone else. But Paul is encouraging here to drink a little wine. He was fermented. It was alcohol, and it would act as a dis, uh, disinfectant, uh, countering the impurities in the water and would help with his infirmities. Now, he was not uh, advocating Timothy here, nor is he advocating any other pastor to lower the high standard uh, of behavior for spiritual leaders. Verse 24, says, Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment, but those of some men follow later. What Paul is saying here is that uh, the sins of some men are manifest for all to see, uh, and some uh, obviously uh, come early. They're clearly evident, as uh, Paul says here in Scripture. You can see them. It's like a flashing neon sign. And this would obviously disqualify uh, them for service as a pastor or an elder or things of that nature. The known sins of uh, the unqualified uh, announces those men's uh, guilt before all. It, it, I mean, it's, it's, it's on display for everyone to see. Uh, and what he's doing here is warning uh, or, or, or teaching us that, look, you can see how this man lives his life. We're instructed in Scripture to be holy for God is holy, to live Christ-like. He's obviously not living Christ-like. Therefore, you don't need to hastily go put hands on him and ordain him into the ministry. That's pretty obvious. And the term judgment here in this verse, in verse 24, uh, refers to the church's uh, process of determining uh, the suitability uh, of these men to serve as pastors and as elders. Uh, the sins of other candidates for elder uh, will come to light in time, perhaps even during the scrutiny of the evaluation process. Lastly here, verse 25, it says, Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident, and those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. We see that the same is true of good works. Some are evident, others come to light later. Time and truth always go hand in hand. And the whole emphasis, I'll just kind of wrap this up right here with this. Uh, the whole emphasis uh, of this instruction from Paul to Timothy, to us, uh, regarding uh, the choosing of elders according to quali qualifications that go back to chapter 3 that I read just a little, a little while ago, is to be patient, uh, to be fair, to be impartial, and to be pure. Uh, and such an approach, and the reason why we need to approach it that way is because that's the way Scripture tells us to do it. Uh, and when we uh, do take that approach, it will always yield uh, the right choices. So we're going to stop uh, right there. 
and we'll pick up with chapter six the next time we're able to get together. We're not going to be able to record next week. I'll be in revival next week with um, uh, Brother Billy Verhoff and the uh, congregation at Calvin First Baptist Church. So we're not going to be able to record next week, uh, but we will be back the following week. And I pray that all of you have a wonderful week, a wonderful next couple of weeks. If you're able to come to Calvin next week for revival, um, we'll be posting uh, the information about that in the next few days as far as start times and things of that nature. Uh, I would encourage you to come be a part of it. But um, hope to see you again when we do gather back together. God bless you. Love you. But he loves you more.